Let's do that. Okay, when well, you guys get started whenever you're ready. All right. All right. So, um, hold on one second. Henry, Henry would you mind muting your mic? mic? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, we're we're in the same room, so a little bit of feedback, but we'll just be care mindful of that. Um, anyway, to start us off, um, my name is Caleb Wood, and my co-host is Henry Holloway. Gentlemen. And we are here to um, interview uh, you, Michael Usland. Um, just to give our listeners some context, if you didn't know who he is, although you're probably very familiar with his work, um, he is the executive producer and originator of the Batman film um, and also a prominent IU alumni. Um, he has also written for DC Comics, writing for The Shadow, Beowulf, Batman, and uh, most importantly for this interview, Stanley's Just Imagine, uh, which was originally released back in 2001. But there is a brand new anthology, uh, Tales from Earth 6, A Celebration of Stan Lee for Stan Lee's 100th birthday, which comes this December from DC Comics. Uh, so yeah. Uh, Henry, I believe you had a question first, right? Yes, yes. Yes. So, um, okay. So, so, Mr. Uslin, you went from growing up in New Jersey during the 1950s to being a law student at, uh, to being a student at IU, um, where you, uh, where you went to fulfill your you know, dream of being a writer, you know, and, uh, and of course of being a, eventually you found your foothold creatively through the more business side of things through, you know, being a producer. And then of course, that's why you went to law school. So part of the reason, at least, as you've talked about, so how did IU specifically through both undergraduate your undergraduate experiences, I where I know you, you know, you met your wife for a squad, you've got all these great stories, but specifically IU through both being an undergraduate student there and being a law student there. How did IU, how do you place IU in terms of how it shaped your experiences and your growth and development to becoming the uh, storyteller and creator and producer that you now are very successfully? And it's heart and soul there's really one thing that stands out in my years at Indiana University. And it was seven years. Uh, I received my um, BA in history. I received my master's in urban education and I received my doctorate in law. Um, Indiana University is a place where nobody has to simply accept the word no as a final answer. I found that there is always another professor, um, a department head, an advisor, uh, somebody you could turn to who will listen and bend over backwards to be accommodating to the needs of one individual student. <clears throat> I was about as quirky and strange in terms of my interests as anybody could be, but they always bent over backwards to be accommodating to me. Case in point, Junior year, 
I'm 19 and a half years old. And IU started an experimental curriculum department. And the concept was that if you had an idea for a college course that had never been taught before and could get the backing of a department on campus, you had the right to pitch it to the dean. And if the dean approved it, even though I was an undergrad, I could teach it for three up to three hours of credit on campus. So I sat down and designed a course because I knew in the entire world, nobody had ever taught a college accredited course on comic books before. But comic books were a legitimate American art form. Comic book superheroes are our modern day mythology. And I wrote up a syllabus and I got the backing of the folklore department because uh, Professor Henry Glassy listened to me and my quirky needs and said, Michael, your theory is right. It, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, it's no different than Ulysses or Beowulf. It's the story of brave heroes of the day battling the demons and dragons of their day thematically in stories of hope and redemption. And he said, and we, it really doesn't matter if we call them King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table or the Avengers, it's the same thing, I will back you. And I wound up having my course accredited and the publicity from being the first college professor of comic books. I mean, I was doing radio and TV talk shows, being interviewed all the time, uh, television reporters and cameras at every class I taught, brought me to the attention of Stan Lee at Marvel Comics and Saul Harrison, who was vice president of DC Comics in New York. That led to Saul flying me into New York City giving me a job at DC in summers and putting me on retainer at Indiana. And that led me to writing The Shadow, writing Batman, and ultimately being able to internally build the kind of relationships and trust that I needed from DC Comics, where they understood my incredible passion for comic book superheroes and specifically Batman. They, un they trusted me because they saw the work I was doing academically and the level of responsibility I was bringing to the subject that when it came time and I went to Saul who had now become the president of DC Comics and said, Saul, I wanna buy the rights to Batman. I wanna go out and show the world in dark and serious movies that he is a dark knight detective who battles criminals in the shadows and erase from the public consciousness, this idea of a pot-bellied funny Batman with all the campy pals, apps, and whams. And it was only because those years of trust and personal relationships that were built because of IU letting me teach this course that I got to where I wanted to go, got the rights to Batman. I mean, can you believe it? Can anybody believe it today that a kid in his 20s, no offense, I was a kid in my 20s, bought the rights to Batman from DC Comics. I mean, it's inconceivable. It's unbelievable. But, yeah. but that's what happened. And, and part of the key reason that it happened was because no one else on the planet Earth showed up. And there's a lesson in that in terms of if you're passionate about something and get up off the damn couch, it's amazing what you can accomplish. You can make your own dreams come true. That's a, That's really an incredible way of putting it that it was... It requires perseverance and diligence and resilience as you've exhibited time and time over again. I mean, that's a consistent theme with you, especially like in your book 
Batman's Batman, you talk about it like in high school with, you know, teachers, you know, like, you know, the, the, you know, you were so persistent about getting into English honors. It's like most students, they wouldn't care. A lot of students, not most necessarily wouldn't care as much, but it was just the persistence and that you, I guess, developed, I guess, maybe instilled on you, maybe by your, your father and your mother, your, you know, your father, you know, but your father being a bricklayer and your mother, of course, um, demonstrating, you know, being, demonstrating heroism from an early age, but that's just such a consistent thing. And so to take advantage, the less here, I guess, just to take advantage of the, of the opportunities that you provided and IU offered you these opportunities that you could um, take advantage of. So I wanted to, before we get over to Caleb, I wanted to ask you, uh, particularly though, as a history major, I know like you talked about in Batman's Batman, um, working on the PBS miniseries and, you know, making sure it was historically accurate, having historians come in, making sure you had the right kind of cow, cattle to come in to make this miniseries, this PBS miniseries about the Salem witch trials as authentic as possible. And uh, so I guess in terms of whether that or national treasure, you know, historically themed, um, movie with Nicolas Cage, one of his best works, by the way, um, uh, in my view, that you worked on with him. Um, um, well, but um, how, I guess, does being a, you're being a history major, you got your bachelor's degree in history. How did that specifically, along with your mentorship from Henry Glassie, contribute in terms of not only opportunities, but knowledge and accumulating the kind of knowledge, you know, that would be so useful, I guess, in your, in your field as a producer? Well, two things. Number one, a liberal arts education, which gets a really bum rap these days. Um, it gives you a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. And when you are going to produce, uh, your job is to determine what intellectual properties out there, what stories out there are not only worth telling and are compelling, but are commercially viable in the world in which we live. Um, being a student of history, I knew about an awful lot of stories, great stories. And my favorite IU professors of history were the ones who were the greatest storytellers and not just something out of a book, but you could determine, you could feel the passion in their voices as they would recount these stories in history class. And that's what it comes down to. Just like comic books and Batman and movies and animation were an integral passion that I had growing up, so was my love for history. And I credit not only my parents, because what my mom used to do she would, at the end of every school year, she would go into our school, our grade schools. We had a thing back then, it was called social studies. I don't know what they call it anymore. And she would talk to the teacher who we would have the following year in the next grade to find out what we were going to be studying in history. So then my mom would plan trips so that we would go to Williamsburg, Virginia, or Washington, D.C., or Fort Ticonderoga in New York. And before I had the history lessons about, say, Green, uh, uh, Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys and the Revolutionary War, I would have been there and touched it. And as a result, 
I just felt connected to history and I was always an A student in history. So it's about nurturing your passion. Again, that's what is the core for everything here. And that is what got me through the 10 long years that it took to bring a dark and serious Batman to the silver screen from the time I optioned it. For the same reason, um, once Stan became my mentor, which was when I started teaching the comic book course at IU and he called me and he said, Michael, what you're doing is great for the whole comic book industry. How can I help you? It then became a passion of mine. Somehow, someday, I, I've got to work for this man or with this man. That I've got to make that part of my dream come true. And it came true in the early 2000s with Just Imagine. That's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, IU uh, is still has so much uh, that some of that to that passion you talk about with IU's history department. Uh, it's funny because it's still uh, I'm, I'm majoring in uh, journalism and history, but uh, as well, history as well. But, uh, you know, so much of that passion you can see with, you know, a lot of the professors I've had, like Professor Rob Schneider and Professor Michael McGurr, the chair of the department. It is, uh, you know, like the course uh, he taught on uh, uh, rock, hip hop and revolution and music, American music history. Just, man, you'd love it. It's just, of course, you know, all of it. Most of it. I'm sure I'm a. Well, just, look, it's really fantastic. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I could go on and do a hall of fame of my history professors at IU. Uh, the, the, the people who really helped determine um, how I was going to be structuring my life. And it, it, they, they were magnificent, just magnificent. Uh, yeah. I love every minute of it. And as I travel the world and my son, who David, who's also an IU graduate, uh, we often travel the world together and we make sure wherever we go, we take time out from our business meetings and we see the history and we visit the sites and uh, get our hands dirty, so to speak. And in just this year, past uh, half a year, I've been to India, Israel, Egypt, Greece, Saudi Arabia, United Arab uh, Emirates. And, you know, one third of the time, it's just to be involved in the history of it all. It's still highly motivational and one of the great treasures of life. It's amazing, yeah. Oh, all right. So uh, just to pass the torch on to me, uh, to move to our main topic, obviously we mentioned it before, but we are mainly discussing um, not only your career, but this new anthology that's coming out, um, Tales from Earth 6, The Celebration of Stan Lee, which was made, I believe, for Stan Lee's 100th birthday. Um, and like you mentioned, is based on the Just Imagine uh, series. Uh, I was wondering, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but uh, what are the specifics of like how this deal, or not, I guess not deal, but this, uh, the original comic came to be and what prompted you to revive it now? Uh, was it purely just for the 100th anniversary or is this something that you had been planning to do for a while? All right, I'm going to tell you a story and I suggest you fasten your seatbelts for this one. Um, well. part, part of it was recounted in Batman's Batman in my, uh, in my memoir. And, oh, Stan Lee always said, Michael, whenever you can, get in the shameless plugs. So the boy who wrote <laughs> Batman and Batman's Batman are both available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, as are the audiobook versions that I narrated. Okay, plugs done. So um, way back in the 1990s, Marvel Comics went bankrupt. And... Um, I went to Wall Street 
and got one of the major investment banking firms to agree to back me on a purchase of Marvel for up to $95 million. We days and three nights in the offices of the bankruptcy trustee in Newark, New Jersey, with this company's tax guys and legal guys going over every single thing that Marvel had. And during that process, I saw Stan Lee's contract. And I saw that he was given one golden opportunity in his contract at Marvel to do one project outside of Marvel as he might choose. Armed with that information, the day came when I was having lunch with Stan in Beverly Hills, uh, which we often did, a little deli called Nate and Al's. And I said, Stan, what would you think if I brought you over to DC Comics and you reinvented, recreated all the DC superheroes, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Justice League, the way you would have done them at Marvel Comics? And Stan laughed. He said, Mike, you're, oh, Michael. He always called me Michael. Michael, you're out of your mind. You're, you're crazy. DC would never allow that. He said, that would be like having Henry Ford go over to General Motors to design a Chevrolet or the president of Coca-Cola taking the Pepsi challenge and choosing Pepsi over Coke. And he goes, where would you get such a crazy idea? And I told him the idea came the night of the premiere of our first Batman movie in June, 1989. It was in Los Angeles. Every star in Hollywood was at this premiere and I could sort of care less because I was hanging out at my first big movie premiere with Stan Lee and Bob Kane. Bob Kane was the co-creator of Batman, the artist. And Stan was giving it to Bob. He was ribbing him that night. And he said, well, you know, Bob, this, this hoopla, this movie, all is well and good. But if I had been writing Batman, that really could have made it a success. And Bob Kane laughed and he said, well, Stan, if I was drawing Spider-Man, you could have had a movie by now of Spider-Man. And I'm standing between these two guys going, oh, my God, what if Stan Lee had created Batman? What would that have been like? I said, Stan, that's where I got this whole idea from, that conversation that night. So I said, would you allow me to go over to Paul Levitz, who was my old friend since we were teenagers, he was the president of DC Comics, and talk to him about this. He says, well, do what you want, but you're crazy. They'll never go for it. So I went over and I met with Paul. And Paul's reaction was priceless. He said, how can we not do it? We must do it. This would be so much fun. And with that, a quick agreement was made. And for 13 months, I got to work with Stan, our fantastic, amazing editor, Mike Carlin. And then we lined up the greatest comic book illustrators in history who were around at that time and a lot of upcoming new folks. And it was an amazing ride. And I have to tell you, there were two main points that Stan wanted to make. He said, number one, he goes, and I want this plastered over every comic book we do. I am not doing this to attempt to outdo the creators of these characters. Their work was great, will live forever, and these people were friends of mine. This is just a fun what-if project 
uh, and all we're going to do is have fun with it, not usurp their glory or what their characters were. I said, that's, that's great. I'm all in. He goes, second, I do not like writing retro. I don't want to be considered retro. I want to be considered current. Well, not only did Stan do the original Just Imagine Earth 6 series current, Stan Lee was 20 years ahead of his time. In this series, he conceived of a Black Batman, a Hispanic Wonder Woman, and a Hispanic Aquaman, a Shazam rooted in Indian culture, a Latino Robin, a young female Flash. The man was 20 years ahead of his time. And what an incredible, fun adventure we had together working on this. Yeah, that's that sounds really incredible. I mean, obviously, like you said, the Pepsi and Coke comparison is so accurate because these Marvel versus DC is the debate. You know, you always have like which one do you choose, but the idea that you can kind of have the best of both in the same place is pretty amazing. Um, and that was also one of the things that I really enjoyed when I was reading the comic. Um, I'm more of a casual reader of comics, um, but I'm knowledgeable enough of the different writing styles. And I was like, wow, this is really the best of both worlds that I'm getting here. Um, speaking of the changes that were going on as characters, I believe Henry, um, Henry kind of talked to me about that when we were initially going over them. I think Henry had a few questions about that. Sure. Oh, yeah. So, um so yeah, so there was definitely um, uh, some interesting changes. Uh, obviously, you talked about, you know, sort of the progressive sort of changes. And that's interesting because that's sort of uh, part of sort of the larger theme of Just Imagine. So obviously, you have like the changes with um, the Flash being a woman, I believe. Yep. Was, yeah, because yeah, I read it and for the most of it, I thought I'd. I was a little confused. Then at the end, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I well, not, not only that, Henry, but when it came to Flash being a young woman, um, Stan was working with a phenomenal artist, uh, Kevin McGuire. And Stan said to all of us, I want to come up with a new visual way to show super speed. We've seen the Flash. We've seen Quicksilver, all these characters over the years, and they've got speed lines coming out of them. And that's how that's been portrayed in the comics. He goes, I want to do something colorful. I, I, I want to create a rainbow effect when, when she runs. And between Stan and Kevin McGuire, they came up with this idea that she had a banner kind of like on her, on, on her, um, on her cap. And it flowed and created a rainbow effect as she was running. And it's just, you know, some of these little visual touches uh, that were brought to the table were pretty amazing and were pretty standout. Uh, that was one of the things. And my, my greatest moment working with him, hopefully you guys have heard of Jack Kirby. Jack is oh, the yeah. fantastic for Hulk, Avengers, X-Men, Iron Man, Thor. I mean, the list goes on and on. One of the great creative geniuses in the history of comics. And um, I knew as a young fan, I heard about how Stan and Jack used to work together creatively back in the uh, early mid 60s. And Stan liked to jump on the furniture and pose and show Jack what he was looking for uh, in a particular panel or page. So I'm in Stan's office when the Just Imagine original artwork to Superman comes in 
from one of the great, great legendary comic book artists, John Buscema, who did Silver Surfer. He did Conan. He did so many great uh, comic books over at Marvel. And Stan opens it up and I'm sitting in his office and he's going, wow, this is magnificent. This is beautiful. And he's handing me every page. Then all of a sudden he goes, no, no, he didn't do what I wanted here in this panel. I go, what's the problem? He goes, well, look at this. He goes, Superman's flying, but I wanted him to fly directly toward the reader with his arms outstretched. He goes, I got to, we got to tell John, we got to show him how to correct this. So he, he hands me the original art book. He goes to his desk and gets tissue paper, a pen and some tape. And he tapes tissue paper over the original art, hands me the pen and says, now draw over, trace the panel borders. So I'm doing that. And he said, all right, get all the panels. He goes, now I want you to draw this, Michael, and we're going to show him in, in, in the center panel. And with that, Stan climbs up on his couch, puts his foot up on his end table, puts his arms across to show Superman flying almost knocks the lamp off of his table and says, okay, Michael, look at me directly, draw this. And I'm sitting there trying, <laughs> trying to draw it. I go, oh my God, I'm like freaking Jack Kirby. It was an amazing, amazing moment. Probably my greatest fanboy moment in my career. It, yeah. was, it was just an incredible thing to, to, to be in that position with Stanley, I will never ever forget it. That's uh that's so incredible because it's like and going back to the theme of IU, it's kind of like uh like the fact that you know you idolized him and then he became your mentor and but then a personal friend and you know a close friend and to be able to have that experience and working you know in in shop with him, you know, like actually creating and you know, that's uh so you've got that under your belt as well as you're also, you know, uh, an illustrator, which is uh, in addition to not only being a writer and a producer, it's just also fantastic. And the fact that it came, that it's sourced back to IU and then, of course, back to Bayonne, New Jersey, even, you know, that's yeah. it's just and what you but, said, though, about um, talking about, though, like some of the, there's a lot, of course, a lot of amazing visual techniques utilized throughout Just Imagine and uh, and sort of that's thematic of sort of the social sort of themes present in it as well. Which is and, always uh, important, Dan. The, the, the thematic impact of his stories of his characters um, starting in the, in the early 60s when he um, gave birth to the Marvel Universe uh, along with Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, Don Heck, and that whole uh, uh, team of artists, co-creators. It was, it, it was incredible what they did thematically. They talked about um, science gone wrong, how you could use it for the greater good, or you could use it to, to destroy everything. Uh, he was always commenting about the dangers of the military-industrial complex. In Silver Surfer, he talked about... Um, what man was doing to his planet that gave him everything that he was on the cusp of destroying, destroying his own future in the process if he didn't take care and begin to cherish the earth. There were so many themes like that. So you can understand when 
DC called me up and said, okay, we, we want to bring this back for Stan's centennial birthday, uh, December 28th, 2022. Which one would you like to write? And I said, no question. I want to write Stanley's Batman. Yeah. I want to write a Batman. And the whole time I was writing, I pictured Stan absolutely standing over my shoulder, just like he did that day um, uh, in his office when we were working on Superman. And um, everything I was writing, I would kind of look up and make sure Stan was approving or I got a smile out of him. Um, he, again, I knew he didn't want retro. I knew when I came up with the villain for the piece who was a serial killer and I came up with the name for the villain in Stanley's Batman, I knew I was getting a really big smile from Stan because that's exactly what he would have done. He would have come up with a serial killer with this name. Um, and, and I'm afraid of giving out spoilers. You guys got to tell me if I can or I can't. Uh, but the last thing I want to mention is he also wanted to flip things. He didn't just want to write the DC characters. He, at key points, he wanted to flip them. So in my last panel, I have a little flip on what was traditionally one way of the traditional Batman doing something. And I flipped it in the last panel. And I knew Stan would have really liked the way that we concluded that story. That was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, they're all so fantastic, but uh, the, in particular, the Batman was, you know, while it's a fairly simple plot, it's such a, it really does flip Batman, the whole concept of what uh, Batman is on its head. But I do want to touch on one last thing before we switch over to my co-host, Caleb, for the next question. And I wanted to touch on, you know, it's funny, I actually remember mentioning to you how I was taking that course from Professor uh, at IU about you know, rock, hip hop, and revolution. You even because it was kind of you kind of remind kind of reminded me of it. It was at the time, and you told me um, this is almost about a year ago. You told me that you actually wrote a book on it, and obviously, it kind of all stems together in terms of not only history but the period in which you grew up, which is really not really not that long ago, the 1950s and the 1960s, and how that kind of uh, ties in with your uh, with your love of Batman and superheroes and as our modern day mythology. So as our, in terms of being our modern day mythology, that's such an interesting point how, because it's sort of assumed that sort of these upper class sort of academic types or professional types who you might think would be skeptical of giving a comic book course, a college graduate course of comic books, the value that it deserves you know, they wouldn't say the same thing necessarily about Greek mythology, but how are they any different other than the fact that Greek mythology is sort of has this mysticism to it because it's lost so far back in time. It's almost a little bit like, a, like if somebody started a religion today, everyone would think it's ridiculous, but even though, but we're even religious people, because it's like, oh, you know, it started 2000 years ago or 1400 years ago, then it doesn't have the, you know, then it has like this removal when in reality, you know, we think of time as just sort of, you know, like in reality, time is sort of meaningless in some sense, you know, um, uh, but that was such a poignant era because people were sort of seeing social boundaries as unofficial and more abstract, you know, you had, that was, you know, that era, um, 
you know, a lot of and people. Comic, comic books responded to that. Comic books began to deal, a whole new generation began to deal with important current themes uh, from drug abuse, uh, overpopulation, um, lack of clean water, Native American rights, uh, civil rights, women's rights. Um, it, 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 they were changing. The graphic novel was born and comic books suddenly were appearing in a format that were being welcomed by adults and recognized as adult reading, as opposed to simply for eight to 12 year old boys, which was the key audience from the thirties till about the fifties. So everything began changing in that regard. And, and I used that when I pitched to the Dean as to the importance of having a college accredited course on comic books. Uh, I said to him, the ancient gods of Greece, Rome, and Egypt all still exist today, except they wear spandex and capes. And I said to him, if you don't believe me, I simply tell you, the, um, the Greeks called him Poseidon, the Romans called him Neptune, I call him Aquaman. And the, uh, the dean got it. He got it. And, uh, and we got the course through. So yeah, it all ties in in that regard. Yeah, and uh, one last thing I'll say on that is it is, as uh, you know, you do see that how sort of, um, like, for example, uh, the amazing, um, first of all, I just want to say uh, HBO Max is brilliant. It's the best streaming service. And uh, there's, I just watched the, uh, I'm going back and watching a lot of old George Carlin and uh, sharing it with a lot of my friends, our friends. And uh you know, who is, of course, just brilliant. And uh, there was this brilliant uh, documentary on HBO Max directed by Judd Apatow and George Carlin and uh, features Hassan Minaj and Bill Burr, who have just been at IU. I wrote an article when Hassan Minaj came and uh, Bill Burr was just at Assembly Hall. Fantastic. But, of course, you can see he went, uh, you know, he you can see that in common, the, you know, you know, even though he himself referred to it as a stand-up comedy, as a vulgar art form, you know, you could see that thread through music to comic book writing to other kinds of writing and stand-up comedy because you saw you know George Carlin you know he uh was just sort of this never straight laced but just kind of your regular guy playing in the system you know and then uh he took you know um, uh, uh you know lysergic acid delthelmide and then he was you know uh sort of you know you could see he was always thinking in the abstract after that but uh but yeah, that's such a poignant point. But uh, but yeah, thanks. Great insight. Uh, so jumping back into the topic, uh, back to me, of course. Um, we were talking about social issues, obviously, and a lot of these, a lot of the stories in the comics, um, a lot of them at its core, at least to me, I saw them as being indicative of a common theme within Stanley's work and life, which is perseverance, whether it's perseverance against social issues like climate change or uh, military industrial complex or Stanley need to persevere, prove himself as a author um, through works like Spider-Man to even you who had to persevere through school to achieve this career um, to produce all these films and comics and stuff. Um, and uh, I was just wondering, like, uh, that level of perseverance, like, 
how do you just achieve that? And um, how does it really affect um, the life, especially in this industry? This industry has no security net. There's no safety zone. You're as good as your last project and as good as the next project you successfully pitch and somehow manage to get out of what we commonly call development hell, which could last for two years, five years, 10 years on a project. So how can you exist in that environment on a daily basis? Well, you can't exist if your life looks like this on a chart. Um, it, it just doesn't work that way successfully. You have to be able to kind of level it out as best as you can. So you've got to draw from the good parts to help you get through the bad parts. And what I learned very early on, and this will kind of sum it all up, I think, I was under the misapprehension when I started in the business that this was going to be a war. And every day I was going to go to battle for my projects and fight for my projects. And I soon learned, nope, it is not a war. This industry is a siege. And what you have to do is dig a foxhole and put on a helmet and hunker down in that foxhole. And that the most important decision you'll ever have to make is who do you allow in that foxhole to watch your back? That's the kind of business it is. So what does that require? Think of it in terms of, uh, of, of a soldier. It involves a, a commitment. And as I learned from my mom, as, as she taught me and my brother, once you make a commitment, you might have to sacrifice in order to honor it. You may have to endure some pain in order to honor it. But the, the key word is honor. And if you make a commitment and you are an honorable person and are committed to it, you've, you are in that uh, foxhole for as long as you can bear it, as long as you can bear it. And that's what perseverance is. It's having a high threshold for frustration along the way. And yes, very, very often the day comes when you have to give up, you have to surrender. You're out of options, you're out of money, uh, everything, you've just gotta um, go get a real job as they used to say. But I, I refer to you to the last letter I ever received from my father. My father wrote me shortly before he passed away and he said, remember a person, how did he put it? Um, he said, remember, the measure of a success of a person is not by what he or she achieves, by, but by how hard he or she has tried. And if you keep that in mind and use the trying as your measure of success, then that's going to help you endure and stay in that foxhole for as long as you can and take whatever pain the process dishes out until the very last. But if, it, if in the end, you gotta throw in the towel and you gotta call it quits, you gotta surrender, to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and be happy with what you see, knowing you tried as hard as you could. And that's, that, that's the whole story. Wow, yeah, that's definitely um, 
some good advice. I mean, perseverance is something that I think I always struggle with. Um, and it's just hard, but obviously it's something that's necessary, especially in a industry where you're battling to try to make your dreams come true every day. Um, so just to wrap things up here nicely, let's look into the future a little bit. Um, after the publication of Just Imagine, uh, what's next for this series? Well, is this, I know this is kind of a one-shot thing, but would you ever consider continuing it into the future? Um, at all or um maybe have some kind of adapt live action adaptation um, well I'll, I'll give you the whole story right now the way i see it um dc comics is proudly using this opportunity and i use the word opportunity to showcase stan's dc universe or what we used to call the staniverse they have recruited some of the top talent in the industry to write these stories to illustrate these stories and to do it with love for this man who changed all of our lives and changed the industry. So this is the test case. And we will see what kind of reaction we get that I'm sure will determine what DC's next step will be in this process. I'm gonna add a couple of things here though. Stan Lee had a bucket list. And two of the things that were on his bucket list, one, he always wanted to do a cameo in a DC movie. And just months before he died, I sat down at lunch with a wonderful guy, Sam Register, who is the president of Warner Brothers Animation. And when I told him about this, he said, oh my gosh, would Stan Lee agree to do a cameo in our new animated movie we're doing, Teen Titans Go to the Movies? I said, not only would he consider it, he would insist on it. And we quickly got this together in a matter of 48 hours. And by then, Stan was starting to fail in health. So all the recording had to be done at his house. He was not um, ambulatory at that point in time. And Stan did two cameos in that movie. And if you've never seen Teen Titans go to the movies, you've got to catch it because it's written on two levels one for kids and one totally for fans. And it is hysterical. It is really, really funny. Um, so Stan got his wish just before he passed away and appeared in a cameo in a DC movie. The other thing on his bucket list, he said, Michael, someday I wanna see the Just Imagine DC superheroes in animation. He said, I think with their names, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Justice League, and my name, and what we've been able to do creatively, I think it would be really, really commercial and that people all around the world would enjoy seeing them in animation. So um, one of my great hopes, fellas, is that sooner rather than later, we get the powers that be over on the animated side to see the potential in this in animation. And I know Stan would love it. And I know there's interest, I mean, I know for a fact they wanna do statues of these things and all kinds of things. And I hope this book that comes out on December 28th, Stan's 100th birthday, that this will be the gateway for some really, really fun and great projects to come. Awesome. Well, yeah, yeah I, I hope, hope to this, uh, see that too. I think that would be great. Um, obviously 
Uh, I enjoyed reading this comic a lot, and I would love to get other people exposed to this work. And I think doing a movie would obviously be a great way to do it. Um, oh, Michael is correcting us. The sale date is actually Tuesday, the 27th, not the 28th. Thank you, Michael. Oh, it's, oh, it's on a Tuesday, not, a, not on Wednesday comic book day. I, my, my mistake. That's great. Well, good thing we caught that. Um, well, thank you so much, Mr. Uslan, for this interview. I think it was really enlightening. Um, this is an area that I'm kind of interested in because obviously I said before, I'm kind of a casual comic book reader, but I'm someone who was also pretty into a lot of this stuff. Um, so this was a great opportunity to meet you and discuss this new comic coming out. Uh, I think Henry would totally agree. Yeah. Uh... Thanks so much. You know, I never would have thought just a year ago, we had just gone to see No Way Home again, Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, with three Spider-Men together in January 2022. And I didn't think, you know, I thought, you know, I wonder if there's any, I remember thinking, I wonder if IU has any like connections to something like this. And then it was, it was almost, it was just the most rare of coincidences that a few days later, my brother told me, uh, he's like, Henry, I have two tickets. I read to the bottom of a email from a law professor I got two tickets to see Michael Uslan at the President's Club at the IMU and just and then of course I wrote out reached out to you about the uh interview for the IDS you responded promptly and then you know you saw my name tag you're like oh Henry you know I'm gonna meet you tomorrow but that was just how incredible all this is and just going back and reading through this book and you know all of your trials and tribulations and how you apply the same principles entirely different circumstances from a young kid you know like just seeing your how you've evolved and taken this interest with you that's something that i love because i've written you know some of my own and how you see your interests evolve along similar lines in a more mature way as you uh get older and it's just also fantastic seeing you know how you, you know like my mom comes was born in New Jersey my grandfather grew up his his father was a journalist for the New York Times and he uh well he lived in New Jersey and he uh um was nominated for a Pulitzer for reporting on the Dust Bowl but then he uh but then he lost to a Chicago crime reporter but uh just seeing you know how you came from this and imagining this how you came from this you know on the east coast you know land of baseball parks and just those those old you know, towns and then you know in the 1950s a little later on and just sort of I'm thinking of this era it's just fantastic you know having the privilege of being able to gain your insight one-on-one -on -one and then be able to sort of look back on it in the form of a book and how this is just another amazing American story of dreams coming true and all the adventures and of course now we have the dark knight trilogy and it goes all the way back not just to new jersey but to the forest quad at iu and uh it's just well, really fantastic and i'm so excited for the next batman and the next joker too so thank you henry i appreciate that very much let me just leave you with a closing statement on stanley's bat on stanley's batman um stanley's batman is wayne williams and he comes from a history of poverty. Bruce Wayne comes from a history of wealth. They both become motivated by revenge initially and gradually discover a lot about themselves, about life that changes their focus to justice. 
But what Stanley always wanted to make the point of in his version of Batman, which is really no different than the point most of the filmmakers who do live action or animated Batman films, uh, Chris Nolan specifically, is that Batman is more than just a man. Batman is a symbol. And anyone who is willing to step up to the plate, make huge sacrifices, make that ultimate commitment to justice, to fighting for, um, for, the, for the common man, for the common person, that is what makes a Batman more than one individual person. So whether it is Stan Lee's Wayne Williams or Bill Finger and Bob Kane's Bruce Wayne, uh, the point is we can all be Batman if we so choose. And I think that's one of the lessons Stan would want us to stress. Awesome. Well, well fantastic. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I believe we will end our interview here.